Hey everyone, this is Andrew, and you're listening to the Mountain Park Church Podcast. Today, we end our series in the book of James, and James makes a wild turn at the end here to talk about some pretty significant spiritual issues, prayer, healing, faith, unforgiveness, um, you know, secret sin and its impact in our lives. So you definitely don't want to miss this. I'm not going to talk anymore right now, but I am going to throw you to last weekend's message, the last in our series in the book of James. Talk to you soon. In honor of the weather we've had this week, I wore a shirt with flamingos on it. It's a prophetic statement for next week because it's supposed to get colder, but I, I'm going to hold the line here <laughs> on the weather we've been having. So this is my, this is my like Old Testament-style prophetic act here. In order to hold the hot temperatures for another week, it's been amazing. Um, this is our last week in James. So congratulations to you. I don't even know why you're still coming here, but you're here today. And so it's awesome to finish off James today. And before we head into our, our uh, scripture reading with Calvin this morning, um, I just want to, again, remind you, we took one break a week, one week off for Easter, but remind you, James is uh, most likely, uh, although we're not totally definitively sure, most likely he's the brother of Jesus. James, if that is true, James was not a follower of his brother until his brother rose from the dead and demonstrated to him and everybody else that he's worthy to be followed. James, uh, James grew up, and we have these hints in Scripture that Jesus' family rejected him. They did, they did not think he was the real deal. They thought he was a little bit crazy. They thought the things that he was claiming about himself were a little bit absurd. And so James and his brothers and sisters, they rejected their own brother, Jesus, while he was um, doing ministry for three and a half years. But then after Jesus rose from the dead, which we celebrated with Easter last week, after Jesus rose from the dead, James changed his tune <laughs> a little bit. And so this book is written most likely by the brother of Jesus. And it's written to his friends and his community members. It's specifically written to people we would call today Messianic Jews. Those who are faithful followers of Jesus who were Jewish. So that's the original audience that James is writing to. Of course, there's application for us in this. Most of us are not Jewish. That's okay. Um, we can still learn from James. And so he wrote this to his family members, his community that um, was dispersed all over the Roman Empire due to the pressure and persecution politically that was coming down from Rome, but also from the tension that was rising up within the Jewish community. There were five dominant sects of Judaism in James's time. There were, there were the Pharisees, 
the Sadducees, the Essenes, the Zealots. There were a bunch of different sub kind of communities that were putting pressure on each other. And so the followers of Jesus found themselves a little bit disoriented in their environment and were forced to leave their places of safety and security, to leave uh, their customs and traditions and, and the boundaries of what they grew up with that provided a sense of identity and meaning and security. They were forced out of that. And so in this moment, James is pastorally writing and connecting to his friends. And he's saying, guys, I, I want to show you, I want to pass on to you what I've learned about following the way of Jesus in the midst of a culture that is aggressively opposed to him. And as we've learned, like James kind of is like a pinball machine in this book. He's kind of going everywhere all the time. But we've learned through this book that James, his, his chief concern is the work of Jesus in the deep places of your heart so that you and your character can be formed into the image of Jesus. He's not interested primarily in teaching them how to argue back with culture. He's not primarily interested in teaching them how to just believe the right things. He's interested in teaching them how to walk and follow Jesus, or as we say even on that screen there, how to live what they say they believe. And to do that, James over and over has been going beyond the superficial sort of Christian life down into the areas of heart and motivation that drive how we live, how we respond to people. Why do we get angry? Why, why are we always quarreling and fighting with each other? Why is this going on? Why, why? That, James is going down and, and at the end of the day, he is saying it's about what you're cultivating at a heart level in your life. There's a saying, I don't know who, I, may, I don't know if I made it up, I made my own version of it up, but um, what you give attention to becomes the desire that shapes your heart. So James is constantly, he's not, not, not in a condemning sort of combative, you guys are losers, get your act together. No, in a, in a pastoral um, exhortation, he's saying, guys, what you're giving attention to is actually undermining the very character of Jesus that he wants to build in your heart. What you have set your attention on is flowing out of you in a whole bunch of other ways, and it's not good. And so for James, at the end of the day, it's about cultivating a heart that is more interested in the presence of God than in the things going on around us in our culture our church culture, our wider culture. That doesn't mean that we just walk around you know, with our heads in the sand and ignorant. That's not what James is saying. But he's saying the, the driving place of how you respond and react to life needs to come out of the presence of God that you are prioritizing. Not out of your own sense of wisdom or what you think is gonna happen in the future. We talked a little bit about that last week with 
with Easter, that God, God is the God of the present. And we're going to find that again this, this morning with James's passage. He's the God of the present. He's calling you out of the past and he's calling you out of your idea, your hypothesis of what's coming down the pipe in the future. He's not there. He's here in the present. Jesus wants to and can bring healing to the things of your past, but he does it in the present. We lead prayer times like that all the time where Jesus powerfully meets someone in one of our offices or you know, in, a, in this private one-on-one -on -one space or with a few people praying. He'll meet you in the present and say, hey, that time, that event, that thing that has so deeply wounded you, I was there and here's where I was and here's what I was saying in the present then and in the present now, I'm gonna bring you healing and restoration. That's a totally different life than just reliving and rehashing the failures and traumas and woundings through your own newsreel that you just let play in your mind. Jesus isn't there in that, but he wants to minister to you in the present and deal with the stuff that's happened in the past, but he does it from the present. And even prophetically, when Jesus is speaking through scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, Daniel, Revelation, all of those, he's meeting and his angels are meeting people in the present. They're seeing what is unfolding from a present point of view. And they're just simply writing, this is what I'm seeing. This is John's whole vision. I don't, John doesn't go on to explain everything that it means and what every kind of, he's just simply describing, if you, if you will, it's like John, I, I picture it this way. He's on the island of Patmos. It's a work concentration campish kind of island. He's in exile and he's worshiping God one Sunday. He's probably outside somewhere. And I just imagine like this giant outdoor movie screen, like a drive-in movie type situation. John is watching in the present moment the things that are going to take place, but it's present moment. He's seeing it happen like he's actually there living it out. So even when Jesus is going to give insight potentially about the future, he's not directing us to hypothesize about what is going to happen in the future. He'll just show you if he wants. Our problem is that we like to project what we think will happen into the future. Oh, do you see where the world is going right now? This, this, and this are going to happen. And I read this news article and I read this blog post and this prophet said this and whatever. They're, they're not living in the present. And it's bringing you to a place where you're living in a hypothesized future where Jesus is not present. He's asking you, would you be with me today? Would you be responsive to my voice today? What does that famous verse say? Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. So James is calling his people into the present. Look, with the stuff going on in your life right now, here's how you can respond to and be faithful to Jesus. I'm going to invite Calvin to come.
Calvin is uh, helping us with Alpha, and uh, I've asked him to read this last section of Scripture. So why don't we all stand? If you've got your little James book, uh, whip it out. I think, we're, are we doing 5.12? Okay, perfect. All right, take it away. Good morning. All right, uh, James 5.12 to the end. But before all things, my brothers, do not swear, neither by the heaven nor by the earth, nor any other oath, but let your yes be yes and the no, no, that you may not fall under judgment. Does anyone suffer hardships among you? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him praise in song. Is any among you feeble? Let him call the elders of the assembly and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith will save the one being sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he may have committed sin, it will be forgiven him. Confess to one another the deviations from the law and pray for one another that you may be healed, being very strong. The prayer of a righteous one works effectively. Elijah was a man of like feeling to us and he prayed in prayer for it not to rain and it did not rain on the earth three years and six months. And he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth caused its fruit to sprout. If any among you goes astray from the truth, brothers, and anyone turns him back, know that the one turning back a sinner from the air of his way will save the soul from death and will cover a multitude of sin. The word of the Lord. Amen. You can have a seat. All right. So again, we'll just kind of take a few chunks here and I'll do my best to give some, um, some of the main heart behind, I think, what James is saying. But again, in verse 12, right? Most of all, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no. Again, this is, I think, part of James calling people to live in the present. Don't live in this fantasy reality of like, oh yeah, I'm going to do that. And you know, that's kind of like our January 1st life every year, right? Like, oh yeah, this year is different. Something's different about this year. Like who's already completely fallen off the wagon of your New Year's stuff? Put your hand up. No, I'm just kidding. Like... But we live that like, it's interesting how much of our life we live in a fantasy of what we think we will accomplish in the future or what will happen to us in the future. And James is saying, look, come back to the present. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't make up all this other stuff that makes you feel more spiritual or more effective or whatever it is. Just come back to the present. And then he begins to address some of the things that are taking place in the present for his friends. Verse 13, are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. So that word for suffering there, the best way I think for us to understand that word, James here with this word suffering is not talking about illness. He's most likely making reference to the hardship that people are undergoing because of the unjust treatment they're facing. So 
Are any of you suffering because at work you're being treated unfairly or unjustly? Are any of you suffering because your choices, um, you know, with how to live out your faith do not align with the people that are in authority above you and you, you're, you're in a pressure cooker kind of situation that's stressing you out? And it's causing you fear and anxiousness and all of these things. This is probably the backdrop of this first statement of James. Are you suffering not for being an idiot or rude or disrespectful? Are you suffering for just trying to be faithful to Jesus in your life? And what is his instruction to them? You should pray. Why does he say that? Well... I think in part because one of our, our first instincts when we are suffering or when we feel we've been wronged or some injustice has been perpetrated against us or we feel the pain of life in, in specific ways, one of our first instincts is to take matters into our own hands and figure out a way out. How do I deal with this? How do I approach this? What's the strategy that I need to confront this? How do I work through this? And oftentimes, when we're in these environments, the last thing we do is pray. We spend all of our mental and emotional energy trying to figure out how we're going to fix the problem or, or come out from under what we're in. And James says, you got to flip that around. The first thing you need to do is pray. You need someone else. You need the wisdom of God. You need the discernment of the Spirit. What you're experiencing is tainting how you're looking at those opposed to you. It's tainting how you're viewing your future and your present. And so what you need to do is back off of your human strategizing and get into the river of the Spirit's presence, which in part comes through prayer. So James is challenging his friends and he's acknowledging, look, I know in the moment some of you are carrying heavy burdens. Some of you are overwhelmed with what's going on in life. And James's pastoral counsel is you need to cultivate prayer in these moments. That needs to be the first place you go. Let the Spirit of God, through your prayer life, bring you the wisdom you need to walk through what you're walking through. The other thing to note here is James is not talking about the kind of prayer that says, God, take this away from me. God, why is this happening? take it away. James is talking about the kind of prayer that says, Father, would you strengthen me in the middle of this? Father, I'm not asking. This is like Jesus in the garden, right? He's, he's under so much pressure. He's sweating drops of blood. And his prayer is at first, God, you can do all things. You could take this away from me. Once he hears the voice of the Father, he says, not my will, but yours be done. And then his prayers to be strengthened. And God sends ministering spirits to strengthen Jesus. So the kind of prayer life that James is talking about is not, again, what often we, I, I'll use I, I gravitate to is like, 
uh, sort of complaining back to God about what I'm experiencing and how unfair it is and all of that, that's okay, God can handle that. He can totally handle that. But this kind of prayer is like, Father, would you give me the wisdom to see this the way that you do? We go right back to James 1. If any of you lacks wisdom, ask God. And so part of this is the kind of prayer that says, Father, I don't know what's going on. I need your wisdom and I need your strength to endure this. I'm not trying to shortcut or life hack my way out of this. The problem is our our, I'll use my, again, <laughs> my tendency is to go, God, what's the spiritual life hack that gets me a pass through this? And I don't know about you, but I'm noticing the older I get, I'm in my mid-40s now. Um, let's just have a moment of self-reflection on that. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I just did a total kind of squirrel moment there. Um, I'm noticing as I get older that as much as I don't like those moments where I feel like I'm suffering in some way, these are the places where the Spirit of God does His deepest work. The very thing we're so quick to reject and try and pray our way out of, often those are the very place where the Spirit of God is doing the deepest work. I read something in the summer last year that has absolutely rocked my world. And it was somebody just commenting on Psalm 23. I've mentioned this before. And he just kind of in this book I was reading, he was just commenting that the place where life is found is in the valley, not on the mountaintop. And if you've ever climbed a mountain, you know that, right? Like I've stood on the peaks of several mountains. There's nothing up there. It's rock. It's barren. Nothing can grow there. Yet our whole sort of framework for the Christian life is get me to the mountaintop, get me to the mountaintop, but nothing grows there. That the mountaintop is not meant for sustained life. Sustained life happens in the valley, the place we're trying to run out of. So the question when you're suffering that James is provoking us to pray is, Father, would you give me some kind, what do you want me to know about this? Like we talked about last week and even this morning, that for me is becoming the most powerful way to pray. It's just simply to say, God, what do you want me to know about this? And you'll be shocked at what the Holy Spirit will speak to you about a situation when you just ask him, what do you want me to know? Not what, what do I think, but what do you want me to know about this? When you kind of come under that leadership of the Spirit, that's the kind of life that strengthens you. That's the kind of interaction with God that strengthens you to be able at, to just take one more step. You know, there's a verse in the Bible that says that God's word is a lamp to our feet not a floodlight to our future. Most of the time, now God can do whatever he wants. Most of the time, he's not interested in telling you what's gonna happen a month from now, two months, three months. He wants to lead your life in the present today. He wants to strengthen you. The question is, when you come to him in prayer, are you saying, Father, help me think about this that I'm walking through? What do you want me to know about it today? Often, 
It's stuff that is like so far out of the realm of what I would think. But those become the keys to walking in authority and victory with God. And so that's what James is encouraging. And then he goes on to say, are any of you happy? These are rhetorical questions. You should praise. That word for happy there does not mean you know, happy, clappy, like, oh, it's such a great day today when everybody knows like you're going through it. That doesn't mean pretending to be joyful. Actually, what that word mostly means is, are you, are you uh, encouraged and strengthened in your faith? Do you have this like from God sense of courage to keep going? Do you have this like inner sense that God is with you and for you, and because of that, you have faith today just to take another step. James is saying, if you are sensing that, praise. Why? So prayer and praise here, James is saying, like these are like undergirding foundational principles in your life. Why? Because when things start going well, we also forget to interact with God. I do, I, I do this all the time. Like, you know, when things are hard, you're like, Lord, I need you, I can't make it through. And then you got like a good week or two and you're like, there go the devotions, there goes my prayer life. I'm like, I'm flying, right? And James is saying, no, 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 you have to cultivate a life not only of prayer, but cultivate your attention on thanking God for what's going on in your life. Acknowledging his goodness and his provision, and his strength, thanking him, praising him, that he will never leave you or forsake you. He has not abandoned you. And the thing is, we need both of these happening simultaneously in the life of the body. Because there are people even here today who are walking through suffering of some kind. They need to actually hear those people who are encouraged and who have faith and courage. They need to hear them telling God how great he is and how faithful he is. They need to be built up in their faith as they suffer. And so we need both of these happening at the same time because these are both realities we face on a regular basis. James continues with another present reality. Are any of you sick? So now we have shifted from suffering sort of at the hands of injustice around us to now actual physical ailment, physical sickness. You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Okay. So again, this is, would be a general um, invitation to those who are experiencing physical illness. It seems like what James is kind of referencing here are like when things get really bad, when you can't even go to the leaders of your church, you're so sick, you've got to ask them to come to your home. Like that's the kind of level. This is like, like life and death kind of stuff. And James says, you need to call the elders of your church. There's a, there's a pretty hot debate about what James means by elders. And we have to live in this tension of not knowing exactly what he means. But most likely, James is not talking about elders as an office in our modern church context. He's talking about 
the men and conversely women of the community who are the revered leaders. The men and women who are like, they've experienced life. They've gone through stuff. They have a respected presence in the community. Call those people. And Israel was built on this form of community structure. You know, at every town, they had a gate into the town and the elders of the people would sit at that gate and they would adjudicate life. They would solve problems. They would settle disputes. They would do these kinds of things. These were the respected, older, revered members of the community. And James is saying, those are the people that you need to call. You need to call them and invite them in humility to come and pray for you. He talks about being anointed with oil. There was a dual kind of purpose for this in, in antiquity. One, oil was used often for medicinal purposes. But James here is not just saying, hey, this is a therapeutic house call. He's saying there is a supernatural reality connected to anointing with oil. And you can find this all through scripture, that God uses oil as a means to distribute his power and his presence. Again, oil then as an intermediary disconnects the power and authority from me. I'm not the one coming with my big gifts and my big power. This is the work of God and of the Spirit. He gives us spiritual gifts. He gives us anointing to perform, you know, uh, to walk in his kingdom. But this is not simply just some you know, more holy than everybody else people laying on their hands because they have power. This is actually an act of humility and submission and surrender. And often in scripture, God uses oil as that mediating, uh, that mediating substance of his presence. You know, the word Jesus Christ, Christ means anointed. That's not his last name, <laughs> Christ is not Jesus's last name. Christ means anointed one. That's what it means. So Jesus, the anointed one. And so James invites those who are sick to humble themselves and ask for prayer. For some people, that can be one of the hardest things ever. One of the hardest things is to actually go, you know what, I... I can't get out of this myself. This is too big for me. I need the body to be involved in helping me with this. This also would connect to, and I love how this ending section of James connects into where we're going. As a church, we believe that the gifts and power of the Holy Spirit are still all 100% in operation. That he still heals people. We just heard about one in our family just a couple weeks ago. He still heals people. There's still a role for the body of Christ to pray for and anoint those who are sick so that they will be healed. Does God heal everybody? No. Do I know why? No, I don't. Is that frustrating? It sure is. 
But our, our role is not to get into that conversation. It's just to be faithful and pray for people in faith and ask God to heal. And when he doesn't, we keep asking. And then we keep going and go some more. And so James invites us into that kind of life. And as a, as a church even, one of the things that um, as we work through this next series we're in, uh, one of the, a huge part of my heart for this church is that regularly we have those revered, respected men and women of faith available for prayer after every service for those who need it. It's not about one person being good at everything. It's not about me. It's not about just the pastor getting up and doing his thing. God wants to activate you all in the life of the church. And so we need to be better stewards of that presence um, and get out of the way when we are, are tempted to just take control into our own hands. So he says here, such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick. Again, I don't even really know how to talk about this well other than to say this is not stirring up emotionalism or just saying the right words you think are words of faith. This is not a human thing. This is not just like, oh, I'm going to say it in faith. That's actually not faith. <laughs> this is a faith that comes as a gift from the Spirit in moments where you're like, I, I don't know what's going on, but God is present and I think he wants to do something. I think he wants to heal. I think he wants to break through in this area of your life. The, the life of faith is not saying the right things. It's just not, make, it's not making declarations of what we want to happen. That's not faith. That's a challenge because, again, I, in my own life, like that's my first instinct is like, well, I want to speak life and not death. So I'm going to say things that I think speak life, but that's not necessarily faith. James is talking about, I think, the spiritual gift of faith which is a movement of the spirit that comes over us in moments where we like, we know the heart of God is in this. The purpose is in plan. I'm not praying this because I think it's the right thing or I want to appear more, more spiritually authoritative when our heart is moved and we like, we know the heart of the father. And so then we speak out of that. We speak from that platform, not just like, ah, I'm going to just say these specific words and then everything's going to be good. That's not, I think, what James is talking about. And then he links in here. If you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Well, this is interesting so James here, at least in, in part, is linking a lack of healing to unconfessed sin in your life, in my life. What James is saying is that can be a barrier for the movement of the Spirit of God in your life. 
and the things that you're actually praying for. This is why as a church, we so strongly believe in living a confessional life. It's not just a Catholic thing. This is a Christian thing. And James specifically here is not talking about confession in your bedroom when nobody else is there. He's talking about, get this, in the whole body. He's talking about people coming under the conviction of the Spirit in this kind of context, standing up and saying, this is what I was into this week. And I know it's grieved the heart of God. And I'm bringing it now under the covering of the blood of Jesus in community together, smashing these altars of shame and, and these, these, these spiritual um, sort of areas of bondage that keep you hiding in secrecy. There is nothing more potent for the kingdom of darkness in your life than secrecy. Secrecy is an absolute essential area of the spiritual realm's ability to bring freedom or bondage. If you have secrets in your life, those are, there's no, those are areas of bondage that you will not break until you come into the light. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You can, you can kind of rationalize your way six ways from Sunday and try and figure out a way around it. You will not experience spiritual life and freedom without bringing the contents of your life into the light with people you trust. We are so hyper-individualistic in our modern sort of the world we live in. But in James's world in the first century, this was like, everybody knows my stuff. And I'm not walking in shame because I am under the lordship and the covering of Jesus Christ. And shame and regret and guilt and fear have no hold on me anymore because I'm fully in the light. Amen. That kind of life then opens the door for the spirit of God to work in power. So for some of you, that could be an issue. It's sin. It's sin that's done in secret that is actually blocking the capacity of the Spirit to bring you healing or renewal or the breakthrough that you want. You can go back earlier this year. I don't know what week it was, but I taught earlier this year a whole Sunday on confession. This hands down has been one of the most profound spiritual principles in my own life. You want to experience spiritual renewal and breakthrough? Start bringing the secret stuff of your life into the light with people you trust and just see what God does in your life. He never invites you to bring things into the light to shame you, never. His light is actually his presence, God is light. And it's for your healing and restoration, not to shame you, not to drive you into the ground like you're some kind of gross, disgusting worm. <laughs> and that, that inkling in us to run from the light, that's not the Holy Spirit's presence, that's darkness. And James is saying for some of you, and that's actually been blocking 
the work of God in your life. But here's where we got to just walk this line. Not all unanswered prayer is because of sin. So we can't make these strong sort of it's always this or that. That's not how it works. It's not a demon behind every corner. It's not a demon that's the result of everything. Some of it, yeah. And some of the sickness you're experiencing may be perpetuating because of secrecy or sin, but not all. Jesus kind of blows up this idea in John 9. I'll read it to you. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him. So they're tapping into this cultural understanding. Oh, something's wrong. It's sin. Rabbi, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sin or his parents' sin? So they're, they're right in line here. Ah, you know what? This is going on in your life. What's the sin under there? We've, can I just say, like, A, you should never walk up to somebody and make statements about things that you don't know about. <laughs> so even if I have a super strong kind of like picture or word from God, I never say this is what God is saying about this. I say, I think, or could it be possible? Because you don't know 100%. You don't. So the disciples come and say, all right, Jesus, who's sinning? And Jesus said it was not because of his sin or his parents' sin. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the task assigned to us by the one who sent us. So Jesus is saying, look, you need to be careful in your own self-assessment of what's going on. This is why you and I need to cultivate attention, um, attention on the Spirit of God, on God's presence, because He knows what's going on, and He knows what He wants to reveal to you. You don't know always. What you think you know sometimes is, is like, like the disciples here, categorically wrong. So this is what we need. We need the humility in every situation to say, Father, I, would you, what do you want to say to me about this? What is it you want to reveal to me about this? Then we pray out of that place. Not out of like, oh, this is going on. I know exactly what that is. And then out of the flesh, we then go down this direction where the spirit is not present. So not all unanswered prayer for healing is the result of sin. We need to be humble and cautious with that. Confess your sin, James continues, to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Again, I think this is connected to um, Psalm 32. If you want to just turn there super quick. This is a similar idea that David is sharing in Psalm 32. So sin can have a huge impact physically in our life. It's not, uh, 
we say this often, the spiritual and the physical are not disconnected. The spiritual realm and our physical natural realm are interwoven together. So this is what David says, Psalm 32. Oh, what joys for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. Again, integrity between what's going on in secret hidden places in our inner life and what's going on outside of that. David continues, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. Here's the good news. And you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Therefore, let all the godly pray to you while there is still time that they may not drown in the floodwaters of judgment for you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. I just want to say pastorally, some of you need to come into the light. There's stuff that you've been hiding in your life and it may be even physically crippling you. It's emotionally overwhelming you. It's, it's having a visceral and tangible effect on you. Your spiritual health, your mental health, your emotional health, your physical well-being even. Some of you have been hiding in secrecy and in sin for decades. And our heart is to walk out of that with you into a place of victory, not to shame you, not to guilt you, but to actually walk into the light with you so that you can experience the fullness of the presence and call of God on your life. If that's you, come and talk to me after the service or email me. Email uh, Pastor Brenda or Alex if you're a student. The, the greatest gift that you can give yourself, the greatest gift you can give your family and your friends is to be someone who walks in the light. The greatest gift you can give to your family and the future generations of your family would be to be the person where the line stops with me. The hiding stops with me. The spiritual rationalizing stops with me. God, I acknowledge that this stuff is going on and I appeal to you for your mercy and your grace. And guess what? The best news on earth is that it's there for you. When you walk into the light, Jesus doesn't smack you upside the head and say, you idiot. <laughs> he says, I'm here, I'm present. I can bring you the healing and freedom that you've been, your soul has been craving for years. And for some of you, even now, your soul is craving a way out. Your soul is craving a deeper connectedness to God. And it could be 
it might be that coming into the light, not just in the privacy of your room, but with somebody else you trust is a key ingredient to that. James goes on to just mention Elijah as an example. And I just want to say about that, I find it interesting with Elijah's life, Jeremiah's life, Isaiah's life. And notice how James writes it even here. When Elijah prayed, it stopped raining. There's an interesting dynamic as we grow deeper in union with God, when we grow deeper in the presence of God, as we are formed into the image of Jesus and we begin to take on the mind of Christ, I think what he wants to do in our life is similar to what we see in some of these prophets of the Old Testament, just by way of example, that he wants actually you to be so saturated with his presence that the things that are grieving your heart are the things that are grieving his heart. Why is it that God releases Elijah to determine when it stops and starts raining again? Because Elijah's heart was so grieved at the sin in Israel that they had walked away from God. That's the very thing that was on the heart of God. It wasn't this sort of big triumphant like, oh, look at me, everybody. Look at what I can declare in the name of the Lord and boom, 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 right? No, 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 no. Elijah was walking in such intimacy with the father that he carried the heart and the brokenness of the father. And I think in some way that I don't fully understand, God is like, you make the call, Elijah, you make it. You're, you have my spirit in you, you have my authority. You're, you're thinking in ways that are consistent with my heart, so you go ahead and make it. And we see this in Jeremiah's life too, like that they were the ones who were like calling a start or a stop to things. It wasn't like, oh God, would you do this? No, no, no. In Jesus' name, boom, there's gonna be drought. And guess what? I'm in the middle of the drought the same way you are. Elijah's not off at the Sandals Resort in St. Lucia. He's not at the all-inclusive buffet for the three and a half years. Just He's in the middle of the suffering. But God is entrusting into Elijah supernatural authority and power. Why? Because he can trust the heart of Elijah. And this is why James has been hammering on the heart on our heart, what is driving the agenda and the desire of our heart? Is it really the things of God or is it just what you want? And that's why earlier James connected into prayer and he said, the reason you're not getting what you pray for is because you're praying with wrong motives. You just want it for yourself. But there are times, I think, and James is giving this example, there are times when God will say, your heart is so connected with my heart, you make the call, Christina. I'm going to entrust you to do it. I think that this is actually the life that God longs for all of us in our families, with our children, in our schools, and that we are so connected to the heart of God that he says, no, no, you do it. You do it. I trust you. I love you. I don't think God's desire is to micromanage our life to the nth degree. 
You know who needs micromanaging? A child. And some 46-year-olds. <laughs> Just sometimes. But a child needs to be told every minute, like, here's what you can do, here's what you can't do. I think some of us, and I've had this view too, think that the longer you grow with God, the more, the, like, the, he's talking to you every minute about what you can and can't do. I don't know that that's actually the heart of God anymore. Like your own children or in your work environment, I think the heart of God is like, hey, I know your heart, I can trust you. So now you can play in the whole yard. You don't need to come and ask me what toys you can play with or if you can play over here. The whole yard is yours. And when you demonstrate to me that you can be faithful in our yard, I'll let you go on the street, but just in front of the house because mom's at home, right? I think the heart of God, like we see with Elijah, is like that that he, he tests us and he says, can you be faithful with this? You're stewarding my presence. Can I trust you with this? And once he sees that he can trust us, he begins opening up the possibilities and we can go further from home and make more decisions on our own because we know the heart of God. He's longing for people that he can trust with whole family units that have his heart for their children and grandchildren. He's longing for people that he can trust with your whole business and in your whole office workspace. People he can trust in whole communities who then he can say, I trust you, I know your heart and I know you're gonna ask for and pray for the things that are already on my heart. So you go and do it. I think that's the joy of God, just like it is our joy as parents to watch our kids flourish and become more independent. God wants children who are so deeply connected into his heart, who are being formed into the image of Christ and who are now carrying the kingdom and the heart of God into every sphere of their life, not just in a service Sunday, but in their whole life through the week. I think that's kind of why James is adding Elijah as a real life example of what is possible when we walk in intimacy with the heart of God. And then he finishes off, brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. Can I just say with that, I was talking with my mentor this week. I was just processing with him stuff that God is doing in my own heart. And he just reminded me, Andrew, shepherds don't beat the sheep. James is calling his friends his community member, he's calling the body to go after those, go after those who are walking away from God, not to stand and criticize and beat them with their sin, but to invite them back in to the heart and the presence of God. We, I'm really good at being a critic of the sin that I see all around me. 
And sometimes that's a reflection of my lack of trust in the spirit of God to be the one who brings about conviction. My job is actually just to go, to wrap my arms around people and say, look, there is freedom in life for you, but it's not found here. So walk with me over here. Would you come back? That's, I think, the heart of God, not for me to stand in front of them and, and remind them of all of their failures and all of their sin. The Holy Spirit's fully capable, FYI, of dealing with all of that in our lives. But to be one who enters into hard spaces and places with others and says, I know a way of freedom in life and I'm inviting you. Would you want to walk with me in it? Would you come back? God is not going to beat you down and shame you and ridicule you. He has his freedom and his life available to you. Let's stand and pray. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you come and speak words of life and truth, words of conviction and correction where necessary? But I just, I've done the best that I can, but I'm so limited. You know the depths of each person's heart here. You know the areas of bondage and of pain and of suffering. You know the physical areas of illness that you want to bring healing to. You know all of that. And so, Holy Spirit, I, I, I just depend on you right now. And I want to just invite you just for a minute here as we close. I just want to invite you just to ask the Holy Spirit just a really simple question. Are there any areas of hiddenness or secrecy that you want me to come into the light with? Just ask him and we're just going to be still and we're just going to be quiet. And if you sense him bringing something to your attention, I just want you to follow that up with what do you want me to know right now about that Holy Spirit? He may give you a strategy of accountability or... But what do you want me to know right now? I want to just invite you as well. Uh, if you've sensed the Spirit bringing you conviction, your, your responsibility now is to follow up with that, to respond in faithfulness and say, okay, I, I'm going to deal with that in the way that you are inviting me to. But I want to just invite you as well 
just as we close, to ask the Holy Spirit, is there anything, any areas of freedom or healing in my life or my family's life that you would be willing to speak to me about? James says, if you lack wisdom, ask God. The Holy Spirit is the smartest person that any of us know. He has things that he wants to speak to you about your life. Not to shame you, not to ridicule you or condemn you, but to bring you freedom. So Holy Spirit, we, we ask for and we need your ministry. We need the life that you give and that you bring. And I ask Holy Spirit that you would flood each person here with your hope, with your renewal, with your strength, with the fruit of your presence. Father, we submit to you everything we've covered over these last 10 weeks in James. And we're just asking that you would deepen our desire for your presence as we cover more ground in your word. We, it's not so that we know your word, it's so that we know you, Father. And so I ask, Holy Spirit, you would continue the teaching and that you would continue the revelation that we need to walk in strength and in victory in your life. Amen.